and welcome to episode 77 of the App Advice Weekly Podcast. I am Brett Nolan of AppAddict.net, and with me as always is Trevor Sheridan of App Advice. In this episode, Trevor and I try to save a princess and our sanity while battling guards, knights, and a bevy of beasts. How you doing tonight, Trevor? Doing good. Ready to battle for my sanity, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Uh, it's a fun week, actually. I was surprised by the releases. Yeah, yeah. One of them blew me away, and then a couple of the others, they were surprising and fun, and I, I don't know. It was just the, the apps that were lacking, as usual. Right. And so before we get to the to the app section of the program, we'll start off with the Apple News, and there's not the most. You know, we're leading up towards the mid-September iPhone event, but until we get there... It's kind of just Apple fine-tuning things, and that includes iOS 12. And between Beta 6 and Beta 7, Apple has dropped support for group FaceTime. So it's going to be coming later in the update cycle. It's kind of like what they did with AirPlay 2. Right. Let's. Ho- I mean, this is one of the big features that a lot of people wanted. So let's hope it's not going to be like the June, not until June, like AirPlay 2 finally hit. It's closer to October, like earlier in the iOS 12 life cycle, but who knows at this point? There's got to be some kind of an issue with it. Otherwise, they would have still had it on track for releasing with launch, but something seems to be going wrong. Yeah, and like Apple, they don't tell us. They just kind of silently remove it. And like you, hopefully it still launches in 2018. We don't have a 2019 release just because... There's definite value to have a group video chat that supports up to 32 people at once. Yeah, I mean, even if they have to chop it down to not be 32, I mean, that seems almost excessive. But if you want to have multiple family members, uh, just even 10 or so would be great. And maybe that's what they got to do. Maybe it's a a scaling issue they're having and limit it at first and, and roll it out bigger and bigger a little bit later but at least get it out there so people can can use it and even based on apple releases in the past it might be a wi-fi versus cellular connection thing where you have five people are on wi-fi and then you have a couple people who are on like a really struggling lte signal and it has a tough time kind of syncing everybody up yeah that's a good point i didn't even think of that i'm sure that's one of the hurdles that they're facing because i think with the iPhone 4 or whatever, whenever FaceTime first launched, it was Wi-Fi only, right? I believe, yeah, yeah, that sounds right. And so that's just the thing Apple does, that slow rollout until things are pretty much perfect in their testing. Yep. And so that's kind of the Apple news of the week. But also there is some app news in MoviePass. We've talked about it in the past And in case you haven't been hearing all the news or you're not a subscriber, MoviePass is going through some funding issues. You know, a few weeks back, they were short on funds, so they needed to do a quick loan of $5 million. So there was a weekend where some people couldn't uh, connect. And then they've tried to do different transitioning. First, they suggested this new peak pricing system. If you go to more popular showtimes, there would be an increase. Then they suggested it might be $15 a month instead of $10 a month. And then the first two weeks of movies, you wouldn't be able to see them. And so there's all kinds of different uh, things. And so finally, MoviePass decided it's going to stay $10 a month. But now you can only see three movies a month. So that 
one movie per day for 30 days is now changed to three movies for the entire month. And it's because it's tough to keep this business model going because MoviePass, as you probably know, pays full price for the movies. So if you pay $10 a month and you go see a movie that costs $7 or $10 or whatever, say you see a movie that costs 10 bucks, and then you see a second movie that costs 10 bucks, already MoviePass is losing $10 on you as a user. So extrapolate that out for their 3 million users, and they're definitely going to come into problems. But it seems like MoviePass's biggest thing is essentially falling on the sword to allow AMC to launch their new A-list system, which costs $20 a month. It lets you see three movies per week, but it also includes IMAX, 3D, and any kind of special showings. So essentially, AMC allowed MoviePass to be the guinea pig and then came out with their own system, and we'll see how that plays out going forward. Yeah, I'm curious to see what happens to the AMC offering once MoviePass eventually just up and dies, because it's just a matter of time. I mean, the only other competitor out there right now is Cinemia, which does, I think it's around like $10 a month, and you get two movies. And the nice thing about both Cinemia and uh, AMC is they allow you to pre-book and reserve tickets ahead of time, unlike movie pass where you basically have to do day of purchase of those tickets and also as you mentioned cinemia lets you do those like 3d movies just like amc does and it lets you do a single imax they did add an offering with cinemia where if you don't want those premium things you can pay a little bit less but MoviePass was kind of almost doomed from the start just because they were just bleeding money in that model where they're paying full price for those tickets, especially in that unlimited one per day setup that they originally had, there was no way that was sustainable. And I don't know how they thought they were going to do it. If they were going to make deals with, with the movie studios or deals with the movie theaters, but it just wasn't feasible in the way they set it up. So three movies a month for $10 is still a great deal, but once you start comparing it to the other options like AMC where you get three movies a week for for twice as much. So even if you wanted to see, like if you're someone who sees a ton of movies, every movie that comes out, obviously the AMC one is, is a much better deal. So it's just, I'm curious to see what happens to the other players in the future as MoviePass eventually fades into nothingness. Yeah, and I think it was the idea that we'll prove ourselves to build this huge subscriber base and then the movie studios and the movie theaters will want to be part of our program. I think that was the ultimate goal for MoviePass and it just didn't pan out the, as they expected, especially because AMC kind of always fought them the whole time and then came out with their own competitor rather than working with them. And I think that's the ultimate downfall. Though the big question is, as people have gotten used to paying less to go to the movies, is it going to hurt movie going long term? Because 2018, I don't know if it's movie pass based or it's just the movies, is on a really great pace of earnings from the box office. So maybe it's partly movie pass. Maybe people are going to more movies. But if you get used to paying $10 a month to see as many movies as you want, and now you go back to paying 7 to $10 per movie, and that's just the regular 2D showing, I got to imagine it's going to, it just kind of changes your psyche. Like, is this movie really going worth it or should I just wait for it to come out, you know, for home viewing? So 
I, I don't know if that's going to be, you know, ever researched or explainable. But for me personally, I know that without MoviePass or with MoviePass, I'm going to the movies more. So without it, I'll go to the movies less. And I don't know how widespread that will be. Yeah, I totally agree. I have the Cinemia, and I we tend to go to the movies far more often than we probably would have without it. And I think it also helps curb, you have, what do you say, 3 million people doing MoviePass right now? I mean, yeah. think of how many of those people were probably pirating and downloading and stealing these movies. Now they're actually, they're butts in the seats at these movies, their ticket sales, so... They're not stealing these movies. They're actually going to see them in the theater. They are probably buying food at the theater, which is inevitably helping the theater out. So I think it's been a good thing for movies. I'm Like you, I'm curious to see if, as these prices either rise up on these subscription services or they just kind of disappear, if we're going to start to see that really taper off quickly and go back to the numbers it used to be, or are people going to be used to going in the theater? I mean, AMC, even before they started their A-list program, they offer $5 tickets, any showing, 3D or whatever, on uh, Tuesdays. So there's always been that bargain day deal where you could go get a deal if you wanted to see a movie. It's just you're tied to a single day. This, the movie pass and these options kind of free you up to go to whatever day, whatever show you wanted to, which is a nice change. And so I don't know what's going to happen going forward. I know that the two local AMCs by me are really just a pain to go to. So movie pass is cool because you can go to any type of theater or most types of theaters, especially, you know, if you go somewhere with friends or whatever, you're in a different city you might just see whatever theater is closest to you versus having to go to AMC with their little A-list. I understand that AMC is like pretty much the most popular theater or the most widespread theater in the U.S. And so whatever they do has a big impact. But if people get used to paying a little and now have to pay a lot more and then eventually because we know everything. It's just like streaming TV shows and away from cable packages and all that things are proceeding away from movie theaters and so this maybe accelerates that process where it was more of a slow curve over time this maybe accelerates the curve with a little bump around 2017 2018 but we'll see yeah i i mean i remember going i don't know the details of it but i was in in england probably like 19 17 years ago or so and i remember seeing signs when i was there for whatever the theater chain in the town we were at it had a similar type of thing where you had like a card that was tied to a person and it allowed you to see a certain number of movies at that movie theater chain throughout like the summer i think it was like a summer program i don't know all the details but they definitely have tried this in other areas before and I don't know if it's continuing because I haven't been back, but some like I think this has been done before. I don't I don't know why these these other examples aren't being brought up because it has been done. And I thought it it seemed to be doing well, but I don't know. It, it it's going to be a curious thing to see what happens. Yes, yeah, especially 
Because the U.S. market is really important for movie studios. I mean, they have global impacts and they're growing. So you care about the China box office. You care about what you get from Europe. When you see that box office at the every weekend, they always say what the global tally is. They're pushing that more and more versus the North American tally. But still, the U.S. market kind of determines it. When they have that weekly or that yearly um, theater conference, you know, they first care about how they can get more people in the seats in the U.S. And so having that, I, I don't know, I think they have fool's gold right now, and it's <laughs> going to be interesting. Yeah, well, and plus the Academy Awards are adding a popular movie category as well. So this could tie in. If a lot of people are going to see a, some, certain movies in the theater, then maybe that's going to help inform that decision on whatever that new award is. Yeah, that was widespread pan, too. I mean, that's not really relevant to our podcast, but I don't think the Academy could have come up with a stupider idea. Uh, I don't know. Like, but half the Academy nominated movies are just crap. So at least give people one that's maybe a decent movie. I don't know. I think they should. They just phrased it stupidly. It makes it like, here's the best pictures, and then here's movies that you guys probably saw. So here's like a little <laughs> breadcrumb for you. I mean, I don't care what if say. I mean, I loved Infinity War. I could care less if it's nominated for best picture or nominated for most popular film. That has no relevance on my enjoyment of the movie. Right. Yeah. I, yeah, I think it wants to help honor movies like that that were so popular with everyone. But yeah, the the way they described it and the way they worded it just came out it, uh, condescending at best. Yes, Th that's a good way to describe it. <laughs> and so that's the movie news of the week. <laughs> and so it's time for some apps. And this week we're going to talk about lens distortion, which I guess if you want to tie it into J.J. Abrams with some lens flare action, it's kind of relevant for movies. And so essentially it's a photo effects app that lets you apply different types of lens distortions to your photos. So it can be simple lens flare style, or you can maybe add fog and rain, or you could put sun, or essentially try to mimic the idea that you capture a photo with sun glare onto the lens. There's also snow effects, sparkle effects. All told, there's eight sets of photo effects with five effects each. And you can lay overlay multiple ones. So you could add kind of a fog layer in the bottom of your photo with the rain effect over top. And then you can adjust the opacity of each one to kind of blend in with the photo you're doing. So it's just a fun little photo effects app to accent your photos in new ways. Yeah, I, I hadn't downloaded this. I downloaded just before we started uh, recording. I've been fooling around with it while you were just talking, and this is really neat. I mean, it's super easy to use, and I like that you can layer multiple of those effects on a single photo. Granted, you probably could go overkill if, if you really start putting these things on, but it allows you to create some really layered, unique effects. And they blend relatively well. Like It looks like you captured the photo with maybe that sun glare on it or that rainbow exposure or maybe the fog is actually there. You can make it so it kind of fits with the tone of your photo itself. Yeah, yeah. Even like the rain looks somewhat realistic as well. Yep. So that's lens distortion. It's free. It's universal. And then, like I said, you get 40 photo effects total. 
but it's 99 cents per month recurring subscription if you want to unlock the entire feature set of more sets and photo effects. Yep. And so that means it's time for some new games. And Wonder Blade is our first game this week. And it's a over-the-top action 2D side-scrolling kind of beat-em-up, but more focused on the hack-and-slash idea. And you've probably played this game style before. You have your movement stick on the left side. You have your action buttons on the right side. And there's some elements of button mashing, but also, so you have the X button to attack, and then you have the, or I don't care what the button letters are. <laughs> you have the one button that does the sword attack. You have the other button that does the magical effects. Then you have the roll dodge button, and you have the jump button. So you want to use those buttons kind of in combination. And then the game really emphasizes that combo streak, where you know you can pile up over 100 combo in a row as long as you don't take damage as you have multiple enemies coming at you from both sides, you do the basic attack, and then you accent it with that magical attack, and you just build your way up. And then the game has a progressive storyline where you're going to travel to new locations and face off new types of enemies that include some, not boss scale, but really big enemies within just like the middling levels. You know, you work your way towards that boss, but they have some big, unique enemies to fight just in the midst of it because if you just face those basic enemies then it becomes a monotonous button masher where you're purposefully trying to press uh the magical attack or using the dodge and jump buttons just to kind of break things up once you get to like into the game the enemies really require all of your skills to be able to defeat them because then you have that whole upgrade tree to worry about yeah i mean this one came out of nowhere and just blew me away like this was easily my game of the week. Uh, yep. The the polish on this thing is insane. The the artwork is this really cute, charming, like cartoony style, and then it is just gore fest as you're like tearing these things apart with their sword, or you have a bone, or whatever your weapon happens to be. You start off with your magic attack is like this fire attack. And then you can start to upgrade it, and as you level up, you unlock additional moves you can do with those existing set of buttons. So you hold, you jump and hold down uh, the B button, which is jump, and you do the spinning attack in the air, <laughs> and then you can hold down the fire attack, and it, like, fire pours in from the sky and drops down and hits all kinds of enemies at once. And it just, it, like, there's so many different moves you can do just with these four little buttons, and then when you're comboing together and building up that combo meter, you just want to keep on attacking, attacking, attacking. And I can tell you from experience, it hits 999 in the combo meter, then loops around <laughs> to 100 again. Because I had an enemy trapped against the wall, and I just slammed that button as long as it could go, and then I thought it was going to hit 1,000, and then I didn't grab a screenshot because I don't want to mess up my combo, and then it looped over. But unfortunately it goes back to 100 uh but otherwise like it is so much fun as you're tearing through these enemies and they keep on introducing new types of enemies that require they might have a slightly different attack like this little kind of goblinish type creature comes out or maybe it's a troll at that point he throws these little bombs that you have to avoid and then you'll eventually reach like these slime monsters that jump in your head if you get too close so you really have to attack them with fire and take them out as you get to the end of the groupings of levels, so maybe there's like three or four, and then you hit that little mini-boss battle as you're progressing through the story, 
those guys are tough. So the first one, it took me probably 20 plus, 20 to 30 attempts to finally take that thing down. And it just was a lot of leveling up, like using my skill tree and just keep on powering up my magic attack, getting new weapons that had more powerful magic attacks so I could keep my distance and keep on flaming this guy. And then eventually... I, I moved on to the next boss battle, which is uh, like a giant slime monster. And that thing has its own unique kind of style. You have to fight and avoid his little minions. And it's just so much fun. You can't wait to kind of move on to the next segment of the story just to see what kind of new weird creatures are coming. And just the, the story's humorous to begin with as you're just going through. Yeah, and it's just easy to keep going, like you mentioned, because there's that nice variation in enemy type, plus you have that incentive to upgrade your skill tree, so you just want to keep going, you're in the flow of the game, you're always traveling, you know, it's not kind of the same backgrounds or the same level structure or enemy type, so you just get into the idea of it, and then it is, it's super silky smooth just to see all of the animations and combos just unfold. You even have that kind of slowdown effect when you do certain magical powers, there's a, a kind of a one button execution where it does all these unique animations with you just press the Y button at the right time and it takes out all these enemies and you just get fully invested in kind of this silky smooth and flowing action packed adventure game. It kind of reminded me of OMG Pirates from Mika Mobile if it okay, was yeah, like yeah. yeah updated for 2018 because that game probably came out at least five years ago. And just to have that kind of style and just, like you said, it came out of nowhere. This developer I'm not that familiar with, but they nailed this one. Yeah, it's so like one point really early in the game, it this giant like rock monster eats this pig. And then, then the pig comes out of the mouth and then you basically have to ride the pig away from this giant rock monster as you're as it's trying to attack you so you're just jumping over trees and so there's different styles of of segments so this is just kind of like a runaway segment there's other ones where you're attacking and there's other ones where you're just beating things up like a stationary thing and just beating it up but like when that thing happened early on I'm like what the heck is going on i'm riding a pig i just riding this pig that just jumped out of this this rock monster's mouth and my wife yells what are you playing over there and my young daughter comes running into the room laughing hysterically to see what I was playing and then when she saw me riding this little pig she just started laughing even harder it is not a kid's game though because <laughs> there is a lot of gore there's a, a, a number of bad words that show up in the text as well so I, I would recommend it probably for older kids if younger kids uh, use your discretion of what you think is appropriate or not but I think adults and older kids will have an absolute blast with this one. Yeah, there's definitely high on the blood and gore rating. Like when you do those executions, you slice the body in half and like <laughs> the intestines and stuff fly out. So keep that in mind. But it is all this cartoony, fun, cartoony yeah. style. But uh, and just to tie into what we discussed last week when we talked about the Shaq Fu game is... This has those virtual buttons on the screen, but because they're like a standard layout, standard size, I actually didn't have to look at them all that often while I'm doing it. It felt like the buttons you would have on a normal physical joystick. Would I love to play this on the Xbox? 
yeah, I would. I this like I thought for sure this had to be a port, and I don't think so. I believe this is an original game for iOS, and it might be on Android as well. I'm not positive, but it feels like in every the very best possible way, it feels like something that came over from a console. But those virtual controls do not feel like a hindrance like they did in Shaq-Fu. I think everything's just bigger on the screen too, which helps. And I never, I occasionally I did look just to make sure I was about to press the right button. But because you are button mashing, even if you were to hit the wrong one, your odds are you're probably going to be okay. But to pull off the exact things you want, you still have kind of like a, a feel of where to move around this little console of buttons without having to look at it. Do you know if it has MFI support? I don't think so. That wasn't listed in the features, and yeah. I don't remember seeing anything on the screen. I gotta imagine that would be something that, if they added it, that would be awesome. I would, I would definitely use it. Yeah, but the you don't need it. The no, you don't. Virtual controls are spot on to let you just pour all kinds of beatdowns on all kinds of crazy enemies. Yes. Yep. And so that's Wonderblade. If you like even remotely interested in any kind of action-adventure combat-style game, you'll be right at home with this one. And it's $2.99. It's universal. And then there's Radiant 1, which is quite a diversion from Wonderblade. So this game is a slow, methodical, story-driven adventure. It's not quite a point-and-click adventure, though it has some of those elements. It's, more, it's simpler than that. You know, there's not the whole inventory system or all that, kind of when you pick up items that are instinctively going to be used on the next step of the story. So it's more just tapping on highlighted points in the environment and really just emphasizing the story, which is quite out there. So essentially this guy gets a book that lets him control, learn how to control his dreams, and then in doing so, it unlocks these actual horrible nightmares. And so then there's kind of this uh, Freddy Krueger style of not wanting to fall asleep, and it's simply because the ability that he's unlocked to kind of control his dreams has ushered in these creatures that don't like that idea. And so now they're harvesting his worst possible fears and building it into these nightmares. And so you get to play through his nightmares that unlocks his whole backstory where he goes back to when he's six years old in the house that he grew up in. And it unlocks all these kind of little memories. And then it really unfolds in quite an interesting way. So it's just kind of this slow, methodical story, almost like you're interacting with a TV show to find out all about this main character. Right, yeah, it's super creepy. It creeps you out pretty much from the beginning. And then you could tell he's, like, torn. Like, he's starting to wonder what's going on. He starts to kind of lose that knowledge of is he in a dream or is it real and and it's just a really interesting story it's not a very long game it's actually pretty brief but it's it it's pretty emotional and it definitely is creepy and kind of has you on edge throughout the game just especially if you're wearing headphones it, the, they do a great job with the music there's even like one sequence where he's kind of watching a, a VHS tape and it feels like you're seeing like a VHS tape screen at first and then you dive back into the story. And it's just, it's very well done for what it is. I mean, there are elements, like you said, I thought it was going to be more of a point and click adventure game, but 
there are like almost like these quick time elements to it where you have to react to things in real time or the monsters get you so you have to tap something while it's in a certain range as it's spinning around a circle or you have to quickly tap something on the screen or swipe in a certain direction and that felt kind of I don't know it just felt oddly placed I it I don't know that kind of almost took me out of it I did like that you had those elements but they I don't know they felt a little weird to me I I can't quite explain it but uh, I did like that it was more interactive because of them. They just didn't seem to fit with the story to me. No, I definitely see that. The only kind of thing for me is we've talked about it in the past with these style games is just, you know, it kind of holds you by the hand and takes you along for the ride. It always and then it always has the points you can interact with on screen. It's nothing where you kind of experiment or are just exploring. It's like here, come on, let's do this. And it always kind of points you in the right direction. Like I mentioned, since you don't have the menu and inventory, there's no real puzzle to it. You pick up some certain keys, and then it kind of leads you to the one door that the key works in. And then that precedes the storyline from there. Right. They do throw some additional like red herrings on the screen of other objects you can tap on that give you a little more flavor text and other things to, to learn about. They kind of give you a little few more story elements but, yeah, you are pretty much led through this like a story. You're not making decisions. You're not really... The the most decisions you're making are trying to hit those little real-time events before in time. And so you don't die and then you have to start back over. But you start right where you died. It's not like you have to go way back into the story. But, yeah, I, I almost... I, I tend to prefer the type where you're... Either your decisions matter or they don't kind of handhold you through it. You have to do exploring trial and error to figure things out. I understand why they did it in this this case. Uh, I th it felt more like this is an initial first attempt at this type of game. And I would think like maybe their next one would be bigger and bolder in, in all aspects. Like maybe you aren't necessarily drawn through linearly that you get to kind of explore things i would love to see them have a second game where it did do that but for what it is i think it's very well made oh yeah great production values and great storyline that's intriguing so you'd want to get through it and then it does kind of keep you kind of hiding senses creeptacular throughout it's just like you said it's on the shorter side you play through the game and you're like that's it. So that's always disappointing. But then that kind of comes with the territory of a game that's three dollars. Right. And a game that's good that you feel like, wait a minute, I wanted more. So they do a good job of leaving you with more. I, I wish it were maybe twice as long or one and a half times as long. It just it felt like just as you were really getting into the story and learning more about the story, it wraps itself up. And I, I, I wish it went a little bit deeper. Yep. So that's Radiant 1. It's $2.99. It's Universal. And then there's Sneak Ops, which is published by Noodle Cake. And it's a, it's interesting because it's a like stealth-based game that you've played before, but they made it into a top-down style where you just tap to move. And then they've also made it so you have one level per day. It's like Leap Day from Natromi, where they give you one platformer level a day and it gives you incentive to come back each day with a whole new setup. 
And so that's an interesting style to apply to this stealth-based idea. And it kind of really does emphasize that I'm going to check in daily for this type of game. You might want to even turn on notifications when that new level is available because the levels are quite varied and they're surprisingly long. You know, with the daily level, you think, oh, this is going to take me like a minute or two to get through. But there's a lot of sections to make it all the way through to complete 100%. And finally, you end up getting to the chopper. Yeah, yeah, I think it's like ten sections you have to make it through. Basically, in the levels, you're you're trying to avoid like cameras. You're trying to avoid guards that are walking around. You have to go and hit, trigger little locks to unlock other doors or other areas. You have to keep on stopping and uh, and making sure you're not going to trigger someone. Otherwise, they go on high alert and then they start trying to kill you. And you either go back to wherever the last checkpoint you did was or you have to start all the way over if you didn't do any saves the saves are triggered by picking up these little discs as you're going through the level they look like little floppy discs and you use 20 of them kind of like natromi style uh to save a section so once you made it through like maybe one of the first section of the 10 sections of the level you'll have an option to save by spending those discs or by watching a video and then now you have, can keep on retrying from that next stage in order to hopefully make it through all 10 stages and make it to the end and get to the chopper. Yep. And, like, I've only played a couple days' worth because if you miss a day, you can always watch a video ad to replay it or replay a different day. So that gives you as much kind of play as you want, especially if you come into the game at a later date. And then, really, each section... It's only so long. You know, essentially you got to play through two sections and then there's a checkpoint system. It's also like Natromi's checkpoint system and Silly Sausage Meatland and a bunch of their games where you can watch a video ad or spend the in-game currency. So you can pick up these little save discs and then 20 of them lets you have that checkpoint. So when then you die, you don't have to go all the way back to the beginning. It helps you kind of proceed through the entirety of the game. Yeah, I, the one thing I will say is that they are, I, I don't know if they're they're randomly generated for each time they, they build these levels for the daily, but they do, there is some repetitiveness to them. So, I mean, I, they, that does start to, to kind of wear on you as you're playing day after day, but it does seem like they are trying some new things with the different levels like there might be new patterns of the way the the enemies are moving or levels start to introduce these little alcoves you can hide in or other areas where like those lasers are that you have to trigger and then run really fast before they trigger themselves back so they do do a nice job of trying to vary things up but in the end there is a fair amount of repetitiveness that some people will f like some people uh, not mind other people will find it uh kind of just too repetitive and maybe not play for that long i don't know i i'm kind of mixed feelings at this point i i'm definitely going to continue to play through then at least the next few days and see what it's like i'm hoping that over time they start to introduce even more new elements to kind of keep it fresh because i could see where this could get a little too repetitive after like a month's worth or several weeks worth of play for me it just was just arcadey enough that 
it felt because stealth games are usually super methodical. You have to just kind of get to a point and you wait for a while. This one, it had more pacing. It more like you get to a point, you better move to the next point at just the right time. The way the guards are moving, the way the camera's moving. So it just had that arcade feel. So you didn't have enough time to think how repetitive it was. It was just, here's a quick little challenge. Get from this section to the next section, up to this section, and then you got a checkpoint. So it just kept you kind of in the flow of it. But granted, I've only played for a couple of days. I don't know how that kind of extrapolates out over a week or a month. Right, right. And by by varying where those discs are, too, it forces you to maybe go where you don't necessarily want to go. So you do have to sit there and kind of plan it out. and Because you don't see the whole level. You only see a portion of it. So you have to plan with what you can see. And then maybe if you die, now you know a little more of that particular stage. And now you can kind of plan better. But trying to go for those discs so you can get that checkpoint is always kind of going to drive your the way you're going to approach the level and and maybe maybe you just don't even want to take a chance because there's a guard that's just hovering by a few of these discs so you're like forget that I'll watch a video at the next stage and then I'll save those discs for the next one and so I did I did like that because that kind of informed maybe the way you were going to take it but you didn't have to go that way you could do your own thing yep Definitely agree. So that's Sneak Ops. It's free. It's universal. There's no reason not to try it out. It has a little bit of stealth, a little bit of action. So it has quite a wide appeal, I think. Yep. And then there's Memopoly, which is kind of a memory game, but it seems like it's more about kind of experimentation. So you start out with this little uh, 3D polygon-shaped version of some familiar object. Say it's a coffee cup that's empty, it's white. And then you have these little squares on the left side of the screen, which shows you the sequence you need to press. So, you know, the first one, it's two squares. You need to press the coffee cup twice to fill it white, white. And then the coffee cup will be poured in with the brown coffee. So now you have a section that might need white, brown, white. And the only way to figure it out is kind of just tap. So you tap on the white and it will highlight within the sequence of squares where that white's going to be. And then same brown so say you have five squares and then you also have a silver spoon with that white and brown so now you have three colors you tap on the white it fills in the first square and the third square you tap on the brown it just fills in the fifth square and so the silver fills in the second and the fifth or fourth square so now you have that full sequence you need to tap out and then as you go the items are going to be more and more complex more colors are introduced the sequences become longer but it's not really memory. The only memory is that quick flash where, so you tap on white and it shows you it's going to be in the first square and the fourth square. So now you have to remember that that fourth square is white. But then you also more kind of emphasize exploration and experimentation of, let me tap on the red, see where it appears. Let me tap on the yellow, where does that appear? And that's kind of more of the game. Right. It's not outright memory. For outright memory, they would show you the line that you need to fill in and then quickly flash all the colors so you know what the pattern is and then you have to quickly memorize it and then type it out. But instead, you are always forced to tap one of the colors to start things off. And that color may not even be in there. So you may tap that color and now you've wasted a move. And it's not nothing highlights. So then maybe you tap one of the other colors, but it's not the first one in the line. 
but now you can see every other instance of that color in the line and then you just have to methodically work your way through the colors until you've seen all the colors in the line and then tap them out in the correct order to then move on to the next line of that particular object. So, and, and I mean, the goal is to do it in the least number of moves possible, but you're always kind of going to be, because it's not strict memory, you have to do that experimentation and then try something which may or may not help you. Like maybe you guessed the first color and now that one counts. As long as you guess the second color, you're not going to waste a move. So you're not going to necessarily do it perfectly every time, but there is that little experimentation and memory aspect to it. It's not the deepest of games. If you do kind of like... Uh, and it's also the type of game where you're going to have to pay attention because you can't just do this while doing something else. It's not like a mindless thing, kind of like a match three or a, a bubble popper. You have to watch to see those colors flash to know what to put where. And it the moves counter is kind of what makes the game because, you know, you might start off with 200 moves and you could just randomly choose colors and burn through all your moves. But... If the game wants you to end with like 150 for three stars, you want to get that three stars. You don't want to move on. This is a type of game that actually pushes you towards caring about that, where you don't feel like you've accomplished it until you do get three stars. And so you really want to be deliberate with your moves and not just randomly tapping on the colors and see what appears. So you kind of try to figure out it goes white, white, brown. And then you have a new color and you're like, well, let me guess that it's going to start with brown because it just introduced brown or whatever the case may be. So you have this little kind of guessing pattern idea. There's a very subtle pattern available where you're trying to figure out what's going on and with the new colors and kind of repeating. So if I did white, white, brown, and now it might be brown, brown, white or something like that. And you just kind of try to be very delicate with using your moves where you're not just tapping randomly on screen. And that kind of adds the strategy to the game and gives you more incentive to keep going with the new objects that are introduced and the new color schemes and patterns. Right, yeah, you can definitely use some logic to it. Like when a new color shows up, odds are it's going to appear in that line somehow. And maybe it's not the first color, but it's going to appear. So you want to tap it to figure out where it's going to appear. Maybe it's both of the squares. Maybe it's the last square, but you know it's going to. So you can use certain logic, and maybe a color hasn't been used in the line before, so maybe that color is finally going to get used in this line. And so using some logic, you can play smart and not, not just go blind every time into each line, but you still are kind of guessing. You're never, you don't know for certain what things are going to be you might get lucky, you may not, but you can use some logic. And yeah, the move counter is definitely the thing that drives you in the game. Without that, it would just be, what's the point? <laughs> but that move counter does kind of get you to try, to try to do it as well as possible. Yep, so that's Memopoly. It's free, it's universal, and I think that's everything for episode 77. Yep, that's all I got. To everyone listening, we hope you enjoyed, and we'll talk to you next time. Talk to you later.